Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is uh, the text that really leads up to Palm Sunday. And as you study the text that lead up to Palm Sunday, you'll find a departure from a city called Jericho and then an encounter with two people along the way and then finally an entrance into Jerusalem. That entrance we know as Palm Sunday when this statement of Hosanna, God save, is declared. This journey for Christ, however, from Galilee in the north of Israel to Jerusalem in the south of Israel If you go back in the Gospel of Luke, you'll find that that journey begins in Luke chapter 9. Okay, here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 9. It says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. So you can go all the way back to Luke chapter 8. You'll find clear statements about the nature of the crucifixion. What Jesus intends to do followed by resurrection. You'll find that pattern emerging throughout the gospel of Luke. Chapter 9 is when he transitions from living in the north in a place called Galilee, his hometown, to this journey. And and so what you call then from Luke 9 through Luke 19, it's the journey narrative as Jesus moves from Nazareth, Galilee in the north, down to Jerusalem where he will do what he told his disciples in Luke 9 or Luke 8 that he would do, that he would give his life as a ransom for many. So you have 10 chapters that cover a journey that climaxes at Palm Sunday. Now, along that journey, you find Jesus repeatedly reminding his disciples of where he's going and why he is going there. Okay, in Luke chapter 13, I believe he says to them, No prophet dies outside of Jerusalem. Which is to say what? He was the premier or exemplar prophet who was going to Jerusalem for that purpose to give his life. When you come to Luke chapter 19 or 18, Jesus makes it even clearer. Look at verses 31 through 34 of chapter 18. It says Jesus took the twelve aside. This is days prior to Palm Sunday. He told them, we are going to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So you find this determined purpose. And now, as you come into Luke chapter 19... Jesus is preparing for this final journey, a 15-mile journey from the city of Jericho to the city of Jerusalem. It's a day's journey. And as he begins to prepare to leave Jericho, two encounters take place. One is with a blind man named Bartimaeus. You'll remember the encounter. He cries out to Jesus. The crowd tells him to be quiet. Jesus asked for him to come. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord, I want to receive my sight. I want to see. And Jesus, ignoring the crowds, brings this man sight. And it's a, it's a picture of what Christ had come to do. To deliver people from darkness and to bring them into the light. The next story is the story of Zacchaeus. And that's the story that I would like us to focus our attention on this morning, begins in verse 1, chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. 
with a very specific, detailed purpose. Go to Jerusalem to lay down His life a ransom for many. That is the the focus of Christ. The only thing that deters Him from that purpose is along the way opportunities to give indications of a greater deliverance through physical healing and deliverance from sin. Those two things interrupt Jesus along the way because they are amplifications of what He's going to Jerusalem to do. So when there's a need, He stops and meets the need because that's why He's going to Jerusalem. So it's not an interruption. In a sense, it becomes a clear explanation of what He's going to do once He gets to Jerusalem. Providing His life. A ransom for many. So Jesus entered Jericho. He's passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Here's the most fascinating part of this text. The name Zacchaeus means righteous one. Okay, how many of you have ever thought of Zacchaeus and said, yeah, that's him. Okay, Not the way you would think of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. The only time that word is used in the New Testament. Tax collector and publican comes up on a regular basis. Chief tax collector, in the Greek it's one word. He is the top of the pyramid of tax collectors. Okay, that's who this man is. A chief tax collector and very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, nor were they willing to let him through. He was despised and hated. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. I want to just take four steps through this passage of Scripture. Okay, Four steps to kind of unlock what's happening in this interruption as Jesus moves from Jericho towards Jerusalem. The first thing we find is a wealthy but unhappy man. His name is Zacchaeus. He is a chief, chief tax collector in the tax district of Jericho. If you go back and study a little bit about tax, tax districts in the New Testament time period, you'll find that there was a tax district leader in Capernaum. There was a tax district leader in Caesarea on the coast. And then down in the south in Jericho, there was this another commercial crossroads and a chief tax collector lived there. So there are three of these gentlemen that live in Israel. They are the most despised and hated people of the land. What was the tax rate in Jerusalem? Or in the land of Palestine at the time of Christ? You know what the tax rate was? What you could get. That was the tax rate. Sometimes I'm beginning to feel like that's where I live. (laughs) Zacchaeus was at the top of the pyramid. He was a wealthy, self-sufficient, and despised Man, a tax collector was considered a scandalous traitor who sold out his birthright as a Jew for the privilege of benefiting under the power of the Roman oppressor that was in Israel at the time of Christ. So everybody's attitude towards Zacchaeus was this, pure hatred. They despised him. It's why he couldn't get through the crowd to the front. No one would let him through. Why give this man any kind of a break? He had never given them a break. What had Zacchaeus learned? Zacchaeus had learned this. That though he was a wealthy man, money did not satisfy. It didn't bring him all the accolades that he thought it was, would bring. 
It brought him some degree of prominence, but a deep and, 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 and strong hatred. He was despised. A wealthy, but very unhappy man. Folks, here's one of the lessons that emerges. You can be rich and very unhappy. That was Zacchaeus' life. A despised tax collector. But the story goes on, and, and it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because what you find is, this despised man is, for some reason, profoundly curious about Christ. And as you, as you study the text, you'll see this shameless pursuit of this individual named Jesus that is working his way through his town. His problem in the text is famous, right? Because most of us, think about this, the story of Zacchaeus, a song comes to mind. Does for me. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord. Notice, I'm not singing this for you, okay? <laughs> Being kind. Thank you, ladies, for singing. I'll just talk, okay? He was... He, he couldn't see. He was short and there were large crowds. So what did he do? He's, he's a man who knows how to improvise and knows how to get by. And so he shamelessly runs ahead and climbs a tree. Who runs ahead and climbs trees? Children. And for a man of his stature, in terms of his tax collector status, this would be one of the most undignified things that one could imagine. So he climbs up in a tree and he drapes himself over a branch. Why? I, you can say it's just simply curiosity, but I, I think it'd be pretty hard to read this text and say that Zacchaeus was simply curious about seeing. He just wanted to lay eyes on Jesus. Because the text almost pushes you in a different way in the original language. It kind of indicates that he wanted to see who Jesus was. And I think the New International Version kind of captures that. He wanted to understand what is it about this man that causes crowds to flock to him. He's a man of insignificance. He has no money. He has no status. Perhaps Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus from a man named Matthew. A tax collector in Galilee. Who was the author of the first book of the New Testament. Who had his life transformed by the grace of God. Called by Christ. So up in the tree sits a hated, lonely outcast. Perhaps, and I, I think unmistakably, there is for him a sense of guilt and shame about his life. You couldn't be a tax collector and be one proudly. You could be, in a sense, trying to find contentment in what you got out of it, but you couldn't be proud of how you got it. You know, it'd be like being the, uh, the, the, you know, the kind of the, the leader, grandmaster in the mafia. Yeah, you had all kinds of privileges and perks, but you couldn't brag about how you got it. That's Zacchaeus. An, an internal sense of brokenness, but nowhere to go with that. Because no one will receive him. Verse 5. I love this. When Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, what does he do? He stops. And Zacchaeus is probably like, just watching him coming. To, he, what does he expect? He expects Jesus to treat him like everybody else treats him. He's going to lay eyes on me, maybe, and he's going to pass by. He will certainly not have time for one like me. But there's a twist in the story. Jesus stops, he looks up into the tree, and he makes this amazing statement to Zacchaeus. First of all, he knows his name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, what is that? Jesus knows who he is. 
That is the grace of a Savior who is seeking. A Savior who wants to redeem, who wants to deliver. And give freedom from the brokenness that has ensnared this man. And here's what I want you to notice about this grace. This this grace is initiated by Jesus. He stops. He looks up. He calls Zacchaeus into the realm of, or context of, a discussion. A relationship with him. Folks, that's what God does. Go back to Genesis 3. It's not Adam and Eve seeking God when he comes in the cool of the day. It's Adam and Eve running and hiding. And it's God saying, Adam, where are you? That's the grace of God that initiates a pursuit in your life. Do you know that? Have you experienced the the divine, sovereign pursuit of an all-knowing God who knows you and your sinfulness and still, with no reluctance, pursues you? That is God. And that is the grace that is seeking Zacchaeus through a glorious Savior. And I love the response of Zacchaeus. He he comes down gladly. Why? He had not been welcomed by anyone for years. He had just been ignored, despised, spit upon, cursed. Why? He was a wretched, scandalous man. And yet that is who Jesus seeks an encounter with. Folks, can I just make this assertion? I believe Jesus came to Jericho that day to save a lost sinner. Because it fits with his mission. It's why he came into the world. Here's what does Paul say in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Not self-righteous people, not religious people, not reformed people who get their act together. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so this morning, if you've come here and you say, you know what? My life at certain levels is a mess. I have good news for you. Even if people in this church don't understand and don't receive you, Jesus will. And even if you live in a world where people know your story and despise you for it, Jesus seeks to save. That is the heart of Christ. And that is the pursuant grace that we see here. This invitation of Zacchaeus to come down and for Jesus to say, I am coming to your house today, causes tension. Why? This is irritating grace. I mean, Jesus, you're coming through town. There are a lot of people here that are a lot better than Zacchaeus. And you choose him? And it raises attention in the story. Verse 7, all the people that saw this began to mutter. The idea is they began to complain. All right, they were, they were irritated and aggravated by this grace. And they, here's what they say. He is going to be the guest, not of Zacchaeus. He is going to be the guest of a sinner. Well, see, that was the word that could be just quickly and aptly applied to the life of Zacchaeus. That's who he was. Here's what's fascinating. Jesus makes no attempt in this story to argue about their assessment of Zacchaeus. He says, no, 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 you guys got it wrong. He's not that bad. He makes no attempt to do anything like that. In fact, I think Jesus understands exactly why they're so irritated. This acceptance of Zacchaeus to the crowd was scandalous. Why? Because Zacchaeus wasn't the kind of guy you would lay eyes on and say, you know what? He would make an awesome Christian. And don't we do that by mistake at times? We get around people and we think, you know what? I should show they would make a really good Christian. You will not find any discussion like that in the Word of God, ever. 
what we will find is that he is a seeking savior who will rescue the most scandalous from their sin to demonstrate the power of his grace. And if you say to me, Tim, why Zacchaeus on this day? Because what is Jesus doing? He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Those that are extremely lost and those that are kind of lost. Reaching to the very depths of the dregs of humanity says what? If I can save Zacchaeus, there's hope for you. So whatever it is that you think is in your life that is keeping you from the grace of God, Jesus reached down to Zacchaeus, a sinner, so that you could not find an excuse in your sinfulness for not coming to the grace of God. He's seeking you. He longs for you. And for everyone who has experienced this, this is the song of amazing grace, isn't it? Religion could not offer hope to a man like Zacchaeus. It can't offer help for sinners. Amazing grace never thrills and fills the heart of religious. It hardens them. It causes them to mutter, to be disdaining towards the grace that is shown. But as you read this story, you find that sin is no obstacle to the love of Christ. It's not. It has never put him off. It has never caused him to be disturbed. It, it, your sin is no obstacle to the grace of God in Christ. That's why this story is recorded. While he's on his way to lay his life down as a ransom for many. What is he doing? He is saving the worst of sinners. To magnify and exalt the cross towards which he is going. And then the last thing that you see in this account comes in verse 8. Now Jesus is there eating with him. And, and we don't know all that Jesus says. We know what he says along the way all the time. He's always talking about redeeming grace. He's always talking about his love for sinners. So we can assume that what Jesus has said all along the way is what he's sharing this day. And in response to whatever it is that Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus stands up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. An acknowledgement that Jesus is the creator of the world, the absolute sovereign of his life. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. What's the first evidence of a changed heart? You know what it is? Generosity in love. That God, God has broken Zacchaeus from the specific area that bound him. Why would you become a tax collector? Why would you purchase that authority to make money? How do you know Zacchaeus has changed? Because once he is converted by the grace of God, he immediately becomes a generous man rather than a man who is seeking wealth for himself. Here and now. And what is this? This isn't Jesus saying, hey, Zacchaeus is fine. This is Zacchaeus saying, I am changed. God's grace has invaded my life and, and the evidence starts to flow automatically. It's not Zacchaeus trying to achieve salvation. It's that he has received it as a gift. And what happens? Out of his life begins to flow evidence of that change of heart. Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which I think is an admission of his life, of his sin. He says, I will pay them back four times the amount. Which if you go back and look in the Old Testament, look at the law that governed theft at that time in restitution. He's going at least double the norm in this. So that there would be no question that the grace of God has deeply invaded the life of Zacchaeus and has brought about change. He was rich by theft. He was on this day transformed by simple faith in Christ. And the outflow was what? Voluntary restitution. A voluntary admission of his sin. 
And there is evidence then in this text of what? That there is on Zacchaeus' part a repentance and a placing of faith in the work of Christ. He found hope this day, folks. A man who had no hope, no one cared about him. What did he find? He found in Jesus Christ amazing grace and amazing love that was stunning to him and stunning to the crowd around him. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. You might say, now why would he bring up the name Abraham in this setting? Right? And the answer to that question is found back in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God. He placed faith in God. And what happened? Righteousness was credited to his account. By faith in God's provision, Abraham became what he never could have become on his own. And on this day, Zacchaeus demonstrated that he was in the lineage of faith people, of believers in God. And the result in his life was righteousness. A sinner on this day, was rescued from the sin that bound him. Why? Because of the pure grace of God. Faith, not works, is the cause of his salvation. The change that you see demonstrated in his life is what? It's evidence. It's evidence. It's his story of who he used to be. Now, I think this text drives us to say something like this. Once, Abraham, once Zacchaeus' heart was transformed, what did he do? He stood up and he made a proclamation that my life will never be the same. Because the grace of God through the person of Christ had indeed inv- invaded his life. The love of Christ for Zacchaeus is evidenced by his very presence in his house. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And ultimately through his death on the cross, he pays the ultimate price so that the worst of sinners can be delivered. That's why Jesus bore such horrific things on the cross. He was paying the consequence of Zacchaeus' sin, of Tim Hoff's sin, of your sin. And he offers you the gift of eternal life. And he says, you know what? You can't buy it. You have to receive it as a gift of God's grace. From this story here, I believe, is what we learn. Jesus is a seeking Savior. He is a Savior who came to seek and to save that which is lost. He could see value on the wreckage and junk heap of humanity. He saw what people could become by His grace. And He sought them out to change their lives. Now yesterday, I was out picking up some lunch down at McDonald's. I confessed to eating junk food yesterday in front of my wife. She's wondering where I eat lunch now. She knows. Sorry, honey. I passed by a sign that said auction down on the road across from Dairy Queen. I know a man that lives down that road. He's got six acres of what his brother calls is an open air garage. Okay, and I've heard about this place and I said, I'm going. Today, I'm going there. And I get up there and uh, it was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. Six acres covered with stuff that was, to me was absolutely meaningless. I'm telling junk, I mean rusted stuff, everything virtually broken. Okay, and I, I can honestly say, honey, as I, as I stood at that auction, not once was I tempted to say to someone, hey, buy that for me. And if you buy that broken thing for me, I'll give you the money for it. I, I was not tempted one time. Why? I didn't see any value in what other people saw value in. I didn't have the training. I didn't have the eyes to see. You know what I saw? I saw junk. 
That's what I saw. I saw one corner of junk go for $1,500 because there was some copper in it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why? I, I, there was nothing in it that, that called anything out of me. There was not any value I saw in it. But here's, what, here's the bottom line. There were people there yesterday that saw things that I couldn't see. They understood the value of broken things that I couldn't understand. Why? I don't have the skill to fix them. So what do I do? The things they were buying are the kind of things that I throw away. And when Jesus went into Jericho, what did he see? He saw what other people could not see. He saw people that were broken that they could not fix, but knew that he could. And you know what Jesus Christ does in his grace? He reaches into the stuff of humanity, into the junkyard of humanity. He reaches out to people to change their lives forever. And folks, please understand this. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what verse 10 says, doesn't it? The end of this story is, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost, wretched, broken, and despised. Jesus answered their question, why are you eating with sinners? Verse 7 is this, I came to seek and to save those. And if you can't see yourself as one of those, the gospel will never make sense to you. Until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't understand why Jesus had to die on a cross so brutally. You'll just wonder why he couldn't have bled to death nicely. But when you see your sinfulness and your brokenness, and you see a Savior who when he looks on your life, the wreckage of your life, he sees what you can be by his grace and power. It will change your life. And here's what it will do too. It will change how you go to work tomorrow if you know Christ. Because you know what we do? We tend to assess things, don't we? From a human perspective. And we're writing people off all the time. People that would make really great Christians. But we can't say it. I have a friend who restores cars. Jack Brink comes to our church. He, he's got stuff sitting around his lot that I just look at him like, call the tow truck. Call the salvage guy. And then I watch what he does to those Rusted buckets with four wheels. And I am amazed. Folks, that's what Jesus does. Zacchaeus is what? He is a deeply broken man in need of redeeming grace. And in Jesus Christ, he finds it. And I challenge you, if you've never trusted him, please understand your brokenness is no obstacle to God. Your sinfulness, no obstacle to saving grace. None. None. And the person that works beside you or lives beside you or that sits at a desk beside you in school, their sin is no obstacle to what God can do. If he could save Zacchaeus, he can save you. If you would simply come to him with the faith of Abraham that said, Lord, I believe he'll change your life and your destiny forever for his glory. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Father.